On episode 23 of the podcast, we talk with Beaver County photographer and community storyteller Aaron Neinhauser. On Veteran Voices, the podcast, we like to talk about local veteran stories and with those who tell and share those stories in creative and interesting ways. I'm Kevin Farkas of the Veteran Voices of Pittsburgh Oral History Initiative. Welcome to Veteran Voices, a podcast produced by the Veterans Breakfast Club and the Veteran Voices of Pittsburgh Oral History Initiative. Our mission is to give every veteran a chance to share his or her story. Valuable work you're doing, young man, seeking the voice of the people. I believe in it. What's that guy yakking about? Something going on. Before we talk with Aaron, I want to get some advice about recording oral histories from Brian Shimini, associate producer with Veteran Voices of Pittsburgh. Hey, Brian, how are you? I'm doing great, Kevin. How are you? Good, good. You know what we're going to talk about today? Hmm, what are we going to talk about? Well, if you haven't uh, guessed already by the noise, we're going to talk about the sound of silence, right? How beautiful Ooh. silence is when you record oral histories. All right. <laughs> okay. Yeah, just feel free to add it, ad lib anywhere around this, okay? You know, Brian, as I always say, people will forgive poor audio, you know, poor visuals, bad lighting, camera shakes, all that sort of stuff. But when it, when it comes to audio, mm, people are very less forgiving. They will not hang around and watch a video if the audio is really distracting or, you know, there's a buzz or a hum and it's loud and there are sirens going off and it sounds like it's recorded in the middle of a 50-gallon drum, you know, that sort of thing. So that's always something to keep in mind, you know. And, you know, there are reasons for poor audio. Oh, for sure. Noise is one of those things, right? I mean, sometimes our equipment creates that noise and sometimes, you know, the microphone's too far away or too close. Like, you know, the microphone right now is way too close and then right now i'm far far away from the microphone <laughs> so but but general noise and this is what we're talking about today is just that ambient noise that is in the background you know when we're recording oral history so when, when a lot of people ask me hey you know i want to record how do i do it you know uh when we get into that conversation i always say hey you know think about sound because that's very very important and there are three reasons to find the silence. You know, one is that having a silent background is less distracting. Oh, for sure. And another reason is that uh, it improves intelligibility, right? You can really understand what someone is saying if their voice is not competing with a lot of background noise. And then also... Right, like it's a lot easier to hear someone talking whenever, you know, they're not trying to talk over the alarm clock that just went off in my house just now. Well, there you go, right? Yeah. That's a that's a great example. But, you know, we live in a real world, right, where there are alarm clocks and there are fire engines that pass our homes, and, you know, that's the real world. All the time. So, when, you know, but, you know, when you record an oral history, I always like to, you know, get into the mindset that this is a production. We're making this happen. Mm -hmm. And, you know, oral histories that are long, you know, that's it's even more important for us to have a good audio recording because a lot of noise is very uncomfortable over time, especially. It's very distracting. And like you said before about the forgiving the poor video as opposed to poor audio, a lot of times a particular quirk in your video can be an artistic choice, for example. So if you shoot something out of focus, it could be on purpose, whereas I don't think I know anybody who would record sound badly on purpose. 
Right. That's true. I mean, when there's a special effect in sound, you know it, right? You you definitely know that's a special effect. Mm-hmm. But when there's crummy noise, you, you know, that's like, oh, you know that too. But that's like, oh, that's not intentional. That's not artistic. That's just darn noise. Right. That's a, f- a fault in the recording or the equipment noise or background sound, a train going by, for example. Yeah. Yeah. And then here's probably the most prevalent sound issue that we deal with. And that is very loud ambient noise. That's that background noise uh it's a hum almost it's just like this thing that just enveloped the soundscape if you will comes from your fluorescent lighting or your electronics yeah it comes from all kinds of sources so if you're recording in a home right so what are those sources we'll talk about that in just a little bit but i think you know so let's talk about how to find the silence One of the first things that I like to do is to plan on listening for the sound. You know, so when I walk into a room, I will often have my recorder set up. I'll listen to it through the headset and I'll listen to the sound of the room. And you can pick up a lot of things that you might normally not hear, you know, such as the hum of the refrigerator motor or something like that. Your furnace or... Yeah, yeah. Another thing I do is I shout or I clap my hands and I listen for an echo. You know, if I hear a very pronounced echo, then I know, oh, this room is going to be a problem if, it, if anyone gets loud, starts talking loudly. We'll have a lot of echo in here. So monitoring that sound before you actually set up the recording is, is uh, very important. And also while you're doing a recording, you know, you have to listen through the recorder because sometimes a recorder will shut off and you don't know it. And then you'll hear that on your headset for sure. Uh, a buzz, maybe a cable or a bad connection is causing a buzz, well, you'll pick that up if you're monitoring your sound through your recorder's headset output. One of the first things I tell anybody who is going to be getting into any form of recording, be it video or audio or what have you, always bring headphones. And it doesn't have to be a fancy pair of studio headphones. It could be earbuds from the dollar store or something, as long as you have some way of listening to what you're recording. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes, as I mentioned earlier, you have a bad connection, a bad cable or something, or there's a weird electronic glitch in that audio, and you would never know it unless you were listening with a headset. And I've had this happen on more than one occasion. I've had that happen plenty of times. Actually, setting up my rig today, I actually had that happen. So Your whole recording could be ruined, just absolutely ruined if that happens. And you often do not get a do-over on these oral history recordings, you don't. So so monitoring your sound is a very good thing. So another thing is, okay, so you wanna record? Well, choose a quiet space. That's very important. I often say to people who are recording in a home, find an interior room or a back room, something away from the front street or the train track on the one side of the house, go to the other side of the house. Whatever you can do to find that quiet space goes a long way. Preferably someplace with carpeting as opposed to hardwood or tile floors. Yes, good point. Very good point. When you have got the hardwood floors or the tile or linoleum, what have you, that sound is going to bounce all over the place and you'll get an echo in the recording. And it more often than not doesn't sound that good. Right. Carpeted floor, lots of furniture could lessen that effect and it'll make it sound a little quieter. Sometimes, uh, you know, we record sitting around a table, kitchen table or uh, what have you. And sometimes it's a, a bare wooden table or a very reflective surface. And that will in some way affect your sound. I always like to cover up those surfaces with a, a blanket or a towel or something like that. 
to prevent those reflective sound waves getting back into your recording. Well, so another thing is, uh, aside from choosing a good quiet space, is to choose the best time for recording. Oh, definitely. Recording at rush hour is just crazy. Why would anybody want to record an oral history interview when people are driving back and forth to work right in front of the house? Driving loudly, honking their horns, <laughs> just traffic noise. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it's, I've had a few instances where that was the only time I was able to set a recording and well like I said earlier we live in the real world right so sometimes we just have to record when we can record and but it's one of those things to be aware of that if you have the ability to be flexible it would be preferable to not do it in one of those time periods where there's going to be a lot of traffic or a train or sometimes you just get that occasional airplane that goes over your house or the random alarm clock that just dings for no reason sure sure we, we have a bunch of uh, cuckoo clocks that just go off randomly in our house <laughs> that's, if you hear that sound that's what that was so i try to avoid early morning recordings uh, lunch hour recordings or late afternoon recordings you know the day of the week makes a difference too mm -hmm. sunday afternoons i find to be just a wonderful time to record saturday afternoons are pretty good too uh, maybe Saturday mornings. Sunday mornings, a lot of people are out going to church, believe it or not. So they're out driving around. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So choosing a quiet space, uh, finding the time, the right uh, a quiet time to record, very important. Monitoring your sound, right? But there's also when you find that space, you know, making that more of a quiet space or as quiet as as it can be and you mentioned earlier about turning off appliances you know the refrigerator makes a heck of a lot of noise the furnace the mm -hmm. the uh the fans that you might have the uh, air conditioner even your light fixtures light fixtures sure fluorescent lighting gives off this thing they call the 60 hertz hum right 60 hertz is a frequency of of uh, sound and it's almost imperceptible but it, we know what fluorescent lighting sounds like we all we've all heard that Boy, does uh, mm -hmm. a microphone pick that up in a big way. So turning off the, the your fluorescent lighting, maybe turning on a, a side lamp, an incandescent lamp or a LED lamp, uh, whatever like that, would, would uh, be very, very quiet and preferable. And a lot of us have just grown noise blind to that sound because we experience it every single day. You have all of these background noises that you just don't really take into account because it's a part of your everyday life. You just get up, the sound is there, you go to bed, the sound is there, and you just kind of tune it out after a while. I know all of us have experienced a power outage at some point. When every electronic device in your house shuts off, that dead quiet that you get is probably the best thing to try to emulate whenever you're going to do a recording. Right. It's the most natural state. You don't have the electronic hum. You don't have the furnace humming. It's basically just silence. Yeah, you, you have to think like a microphone. Just like, you know, photographers and videographers, they have to think like a camera lens. You know, we have to think, you know, like a microphone, right? So turning off all mm -hmm. that stuff, minimizing that ambient or background noise, very important. Listening through your recorder, the headset is a great way to help discern that. So another thing we could do is to diffuse the noise, you know, in that space. 
believe it or not, having objects around you, a lamp here and a, a bookcase there and, uh, you know, jagged, angular kinds of things actually go a long ways to help that sound not directly reflect right back into the microphone. So diffusion of noise with objects around the room uh, is very important. Kind of like if you, uh, when you're playing around as a kid, if you shout in the middle of a park, an empty parking lot, you're going to hear your echo for miles. But if you shout in the middle of the woods, for example, you're not going to hear it at all. Because right, that sound gets diffused with all the, uh, the trees and the objects like that that uh, mm -hmm. you know, bounce that sound around. Blocking that noise is uh, also very important. One of the things that we could do is uh, to put up uh, you know, blankets maybe around the room. Um, in fact, I have a blanket. Uh, across a little space here where I'm recording. That's to block out any ambient noise coming from the other part of the house here. It works to some degree. Mm -hmm. uh, so blocking the noise along with diffusing the noise is um, very important. There are these things that we can do to sort of mitigate the sound and to clean up the sound and so forth, uh, prevent the sound from even happening in the first place. But the, the point of our little segment here today is to be aware of sound and to try to strive for the quietest kind of recording that you can possibly get. So that's the takeaway for today, mm -hmm. that silence is good. guest today is Aaron Neinhauser, an emerging photographer and community storyteller in Beaver County, Pennsylvania. In Aaron's words, she uses photography to reveal things that are meaningful, capturing the beauty, tragedy, triumphs, and treasures of Rust Belt Mayberry. What's that? Rust Belt Mayberry? Hmm, that makes me think of industrial small-town America, mill towns along the rivers, blue-collar communities. If you've ever been to Pittsburgh, you've seen the burgs and boroughs and small towns that once thrived on the steel and iron industries here. Most of that's gone now, the heavy industries, that is. But not the people, not the communities. Many of the factories throughout Western Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh and Beaver County may have rusted away, but not our communities, our history, or the spirit of our people to keep moving forward despite adversity. In Beaver County, as Bruce Springsteen says in Long Walk Home, everybody has a neighbor, everybody has a friend, everybody has a reason to begin again. Our stories reveal this, and Aaron's goal is to use photography to reveal these truths and insights that are often too difficult to capture with words. So welcome, Aaron, to Veteran Voices, the podcast. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. You are in Beaver County. Yes. And that's where we're re recording right now in wonderful, always sunny Ambridge. Yep. Right? In yep. Beaver County. Right from our dining room. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. This is our third on-location podcast, so we're excited about this. Right, Brian? Very excited. This is Brian Shimini, our associate media producer, joining us today. Mm -hmm. Good to be here. So, Aaron, we know you from your recent work coming to a Veterans Breakfast Club event and profiling 10 veterans uh, from that event, 10 storytellers, by way of your storytelling through a very interesting website here in the county, which is relatively new, right? So tell us about yourbeavercounty.com. 
So yourbeavercounty.com was um, started by a man named Andrew Selby, and he started it back in 2014 with the purpose of uh, just showcasing what's unique and interesting about Beaver County. And um, I actually stumbled upon uh, the website on Facebook. It came up. I saw a story, and then I liked the page. And then um, several weeks later, I saw an ad where they were uh, looking for photographers to do a sort of a Beaver County version of Humans of New York. And I really loved Humans of New York. And, um, you know, at the time I had a full-time job, but I also loved photography and I was looking for some sort of a some sort of a project to make me really get serious and devote some serious time. Uh, the work I was doing as a healthcare advocate was kind of uh, all-consuming, which was a choice that I made. And, you know, I was happy about that. But always, uh, as the years went by, frustrated with myself that I didn't make photography more of a priority. So I thought this was a really great opportunity both to connect with people and showcase uh, what's interesting and unique about people and about Beaver County. I was really happy to have moved here. Um, I grew up in Newcastle in Lawrence County and then, um, you know, went to college. I finished up at Pitt and then lived in the city ever since then, had an apartment. And then we bought a house on the north side and we lived there for about five years. And and that was nice. Um, But I just... I realized at a certain point that I was more of a country mouse than a city mouse. Not that this is very country, but um, more so than the city. So I was real happy to move out here to Ambridge in 2012. We settled in, uh, found a great house. We have really nice neighbors. You can see many more stars at night. Um, Where we used to live in Pittsburgh, we had a beautiful view of the city. Now we have a beautiful view of the steel plant across the street. Um, So we're all real happy here. And that's actually where the name uh, Rust Belt Mayberry came from, because I felt like, you know, it's obviously the Rust Belt. You know, there's hard times uh, all around people that are still struggling, you know, trying to adapt to an economy that doesn't see their contribution as things of value in the way that, you know, the economy did 30 and 40 years ago. And that's that's hard and that reality isn't changing. But there's still a sweetness and a kindness, you know, in Ambridge and in Beaver County. And uh, so that's, you know, sort of where the name Rust Belt Mayberry came from. And so through this project, working with your Beaver County, I've been able to talk to a lot of different people, meet people in all kinds of different situations. Sometimes it's, you know, a man on the street thing where I'll stop someone, they're playing basketball or they're out um, at a community event. But I was really interested. I'm always interested to talk to veterans and it actually comes from a place of really deep regret because my grandfather is a veteran and, you know, I didn't talk to him about that. And, you know, he passed away, he struggled with dementia for several years, you know, so even though he was there, he wasn't, you know, totally there in terms of, you know, his memories and understanding, you know, who the family was and, you know, his own life experiences. And I, I really regret that I didn't use that time better when we had it. So um, it's really important to me to talk to veterans, not just about their their military experience, but just about their perspective, you know, on service and sacrifice and just about them as people. I just think that's really interesting and was so excited to learn about the work that you guys are doing. And I was just blown away by how powerful just being in the room with everybody was, you know, you could, you could really feel the sense of, you know, fellowship. It was very special. I thought it was, you know, it was a palpable feeling, you know, of trust and respect in the room. And, you know, working as uh, an advocate, one of the things that we always try to do is obviously use the hardship and the struggles that people are dealing with, um, help them share that in a way that's going to affect change, policy change or electoral change, it's going to help make the situation better. So getting people to tell their stories has always been something that I've tried to do both in my 
professional life as an advocate and also in my personal life. And so just seeing how well you guys put together an environment that made it easy for people to talk about something that can be so difficult to talk about. I was just really impressed by I thought you did a phenomenal job with that. And I was really, really happy to be there and to hear those stories and to be able to get them out through your Beaver County. Well, storytelling is at its essence, a human endeavor, Mm -hmm. right? So yourbeavercounty.com, the byline is telling your stories, and they have a whole people of Beaver County segment there. You've done a range of people, right, Mm -hmm. that you've talked with, right? There are a whole range of uh, real human beings right here in Beaver County. Mm -hmm. Tell us about some of those real human beings that you talked to when you got their story. The woman that stands out the most in my mind is um, a mother that I met um, at a rally, actually, right down the street um, and, you know, sort of in the town square in the park around um, substance use disorders and uh, people lost, you know, to, um, you know, drug addiction, people who died from overdoses and uh, different, you know, drug related things. And the event was hosted by Not One More, which is an organization to support individuals and families with substance use disorders. And they had a vigil there to honor um, and remember the, you know, those whose lives were lost and also to talk about um, where people can get resources and support. And so I thought it was really important to go to. And I met a mom whose son right now is in jail working to get to uh, long-term recovery from substance use disorders. And she talked about his struggle and hers as a mom. And, you know, it was hard for her to talk about and it was really hard for me to hear and I think the photograph uh, from that event of her is one of the one of the most powerful that I've ever taken because you could just see, you know, sort of all the hurt and all the pain, um, but also, you know, the toughness and the love, you know, in her face and in her eyes for her son and and the hopefulness that he would uh, one day recover. And, you know, when we put that picture up, it got a ton of support from people, people posting, you know, that uh, the family you know, were in their thoughts and prayers and to stay strong and people sharing stories of similar things they've dealt with in their own family. So, you know, that's, I'd love to be able to do something like that with every picture, you know, to not gloss over the real things that people are dealing with and to be able to tell that in a way that's respectful and also galvanizes others to stand up and say, hey, you're not alone. You know, we're going, we've gone through this too. Uh, We're here to support you. It's nothing to be ashamed of. Everybody struggles. And what's good about us as a people is that we, you know, support each other and we're there for each other. And, you know, we have your back. That was, you know, looking back, one of my favorite pictures and and one of the, you know, the interviews that I'll remember uh, the most. Um, I've also done fun things, just stopping kids on the on the court playing basketball and talking to them about, you know, what their favorite subject is, what they want to be when they grow up, you know, their thoughts about going to college and things like that. Just most recently caught a lot of people when we had some snow, it melted already, but uh, people out having fun in the snow, sledding and just having a good time as a family. And so I like to capture all those different experiences. So you get a chance to go out in the community and mm-hmm. say, hmm, where are the stories? Mm-hmm. Right? Or, or do or does someone say, hey, I have a, a somebody for you to talk to? How does that work? How do you find these stories? So it's, it's a mix of things. Sometimes I'll just, you know, take a walk down the street and see uh, who's out doing something interesting. Other times I'll look around for, you know, different events in the community. I like to try to tell, you know, good stories. So if people are coming together to volunteer, like uh, I think just around Thanksgiving, I went down to the Center for Hope in Ambridge and they do just a number of great things for people in the community. They have a food bank, they have a clothes closet, they have a computer lab, programs for kids, programs for people that are, you know, working to get back to work and find a full-time job. 
they also do, you know, Thanksgiving dinner. So I went over there and talked to some of the volunteers that were working, serving the food. They have different volunteers from area churches that come in, churches and civic groups on Thursdays for uh, the community dinner. So they serve people in the neighborhood dinner. And so just talked to some of the volunteers, got their stories about, you know, why they volunteer, what they love about Center for Hope and, you know, what they've seen and just a little bit about what motivates them to do something community-minded because I think those those kind of stories are really important. So showcasing acts of, you know, volunteerism, people doing things that are fun and interesting or unusual. Go to a lot of libraries. I uh, went to the Baden Library a few weeks ago, and they have, I think a lot of the local libraries now have uh, a program called Tailwagon Tutors, which is just fantastically adorable. They have um, therapy dogs that kids read to to practice their reading skills. So having the dog there makes the child less nervous, and they get to practice their reading, and the dog loves the company. And so it was like one of the most heartwarming things that you can imagine walking in and you see this sweet little boy reading a a book to this adorable dog who's just loving it and, you know, so excited to be there. And so I think a lot of the libraries have that. I kind of want to try that. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we do that at home with our cats, therapy cats, you know. (laughs) But, um, you you know, so look look for things like that that people might not know about. You do include some photographs with your submissions to yourbeavercounty.com. Mm-hmm. Do you normally uh, have photographs and text? It's interesting because I think uh, sometimes people will comment on the pictures and they'll say, oh, this was a good article, but I'm actually not one of the writers. The writers write you know, full-on articles about um, an issue or a business or an event happening. Um, what I do is really modeled after uh, Humans of New York, where we, you know, the, the portrait, the photograph is the centerpiece, and then the text or the quote complements that. So it's that person's perspective on what it is they're doing or something they're grappling with or thinking about that day. But um, the picture is really the the main attraction. And, you know, the picture tells a lot of the story most of the time, um, but the text is there too to, to clarify and to complement the picture. Well, let's talk about your photography. Brian, you'll be interested in this. You're a photographer. So Rust Belt Mayberry mm-hmm. is a photography project. Yes. Primarily, right? Mm-hmm. And I always like to ask photographers this. What is it that drives your eye? Right? What is it mm-hmm. that, you know, when you're looking around, you say, aha, that's what I want to capture. That's the image that I want to preserve. Mm-hmm. Your thoughts on that? Uh, oh, boy, that's a great question. Um, you know, I always look for uh, unguarded moments. Even myself, I, it's it's hard to let your guard down and really sort of be seen as who you are. You know, you might you might do that for a little bit if you're laughing really hard at something and then all of a sudden you gather yourself and you're like, wait a minute, you know, I have to get straight laced up again. So when I'm taking pictures of people, I always look for those unguarded moments where people are, you know, if it's a mother and a child where they're really just focusing on each other and they're not distracted, they're not worried about anything. They're just really in that moment. Like when um, they're not putting their camera face on. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you're if you're having someone step up to the line, you take the picture a couple of times before they get ready, you mm-hmm. know, to, to really get their their true self or who they are when they don't think anyone is looking I, oh, you know that's a great that's technique always... I, I use that all the time yeah, yeah. And, and people often say wait a minute i'm not ready and i said yeah that's, that's the right point. i know <laughs> i know that <laughs> yeah you are ready because that that's really when you capture that um genuine emotion and i think that's that's really what i'm after 
you know, for as long as I can remember, you know, I've, I've always, and I'm, I'm sure this will come across in the podcast, like I'm a real weirdo. I'm real shy and, and weird. And uh, yeah, we're, you're pegging <laughs> over here on the meter with the weirdo meter. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, I like to be behind the camera. That's a more comfortable place for me. But I've always been really curious about what makes people tick, you know, what makes them who they are um, to dig a little deeper. And you might, you know, see someone and make certain assumptions about, you know, why they're so grumpy or why they're acting this way or that, but to really dig a little deeper and find out what's driving that and, you know, just the experiences that people have had. And you, it's, it's amazing to, to discover through storytelling how much we have in common uh, with each other when it might seem at first glance that we might not have anything in common. So I think that's what's really powerful about photography is that, you know, um, uh, pictures don't lie, you know, the way that uh, sometimes how you talk about yourself, you know, you can paint a certain picture that might not really be true, you know, and you might want to project a certain image, but if you can catch someone with their guard down, you know, I think there's, I think there's something really, really beautiful and authentic about that. Um, that's, that's much better than, you know, the, the portrait that someone might want to paint of themselves otherwise. And that's what I try to, to show people when I, when I do take that. And I always promise people, well, if you don't like this, you can have a do-over. But most of the time, uh, people do like the picture when they see it. We'll return shortly to our conversation with Aaron Neinhauser, photographer and community storyteller. You are listening to episode 23 of Veteran Voices, the podcast, a production of the Veteran Voices of Pittsburgh Oral History Initiative and the Veterans Breakfast Club. To learn more about us and to access our online collection of veteran stories, visit our websites, veteranvoicesofpittsburgh.com or veteransbreakfastclub.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. Our nonprofit mission is to create communities of listening around local veterans and their stories through public storytelling programs and oral history interviews so that veterans of all eras and branches of service can preserve and share their memories in their own words. Thousands of local veterans, their families, and the public have participated in our special storytelling events and Veterans Oral History Project. No one else in the region does what we do to recognize and honor the veterans of Western Pennsylvania, but we need your help. Please support our nonprofit mission by becoming an underwriter or by making a tax-deductible donation. Here's how. Give us a call at 412-623-9029 or visit veteransbreakfastclub.com where you can make a secure online donation. Give us a call at 412-623-9029 or visit veteransbreakfastclub.com where you can make a secure online donation. Let's return now to our conversation with Aaron Neinhauser. How do people react when you come up with a camera? I mean, are are people uh, surprised that you have a camera and you want to take their photograph? Well, it's a it's a range of reactions, and it depends. <laughs> it it uh, sort of depends what you know what venue I'm at. So if I'm at an event where people are out in public and they are are there for a purpose, then they're less surprised. If I just sort of come up on someone and they're playing basketball or they're you know at a farmer's market or something, then they're a little bit more like, "Hey, what's this about?" You know. But th- I think just 
talking to people about what your Beaver, your Beaver County is, what what my goal is as a photographer to show um, what's interesting and unique um, about the people of Beaver County, uh, then they're a little bit more at ease. And uh, I always promise to do over if they don't like the picture, but usually they don't take me up on that. So, Brian, any technical questions for photography? Yeah, what kind of camera do you have? Oh, so right now I have a Nikon uh, D7100, but my two most favorite pieces of photography equipment are things that I got handed down from my mom. So um, she would take pictures of, well, she would take portraits. It was her hobby. She was a stay-at-home mom when I was little. You know, that was her, that was her hobby. So she had really nice camera equipment that she got back in the late 70s, early 80s. So it's very, very nice and way more like if I was to get that same stuff today, I wouldn't be able to afford it. So she has these two really nice um, manual focus prime lenses that are beautiful. And they're a different focal length on my camera because they weren't made for that. They were made for the old, Mm -hmm. um, you know, film cameras. Different sensors. Yeah, different sensors. And um, are they Nikon? They're Nikon also, but I get the most beautiful portraits. Um, it's uh, the, the only bad thing about that is that, you know, if you're taking action shots or you want to capture someone, it's, you know, it's manual focus. So you, mm-hmm. you run the risk of missing something if you can't get it focused fast enough. You got to do it film style, just focus polar and just hope you get the right shot. Exactly. So you take a bunch and hope, but usually it works out. And those are some of my favorite pieces. And she also handed down a flash, which is, you know, today they're a couple hundred dollars. And now I have that great flash and pretty awesome yeah yeah so it's a hodgepodge of stuff (laughs) i started out uh playing around with my grandparents old polaroid camera you know just take Mm -hmm. a snap uh, film rolls out and you're i'm just amazed at watching the the thing that i just saw be developed onto a piece of paper and i'm like that's so cool so then gradually that led me to kind of become more inclined to do photography and whatnot Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm And I have a similar experience. My dad let me use his old Canon film camera. It's not a professional one by any stretch, but Mm -hmm. that essentially got me started on Canons. And now pretty much everything I own is a Canon product. Ah, uh-huh. Yeah, same thing. So my mom had Nikon, so I just went Mm -hmm. Nikon. You kind of just get almost grandfathered into a brand that you like, and then you just (laughs) sort of roll with it. You know, it's interesting because I I really just started doing this seriously in the last year. You know, I've taken pictures and I probably have – two or 3,000 pictures sitting upstairs on my computer waiting to be edited and, and shown mm-hmm. to the world. And I think part of that is, you know, just general nervousness, you know, especially mm-hmm. when when you have something that's more personal. Right. Um, you know. don't know how people are going to react right, to it. And you're kind right. of apprehensive. Like, are they going to think it's good? Are they going to judge it? Right, right. And, and, and I'm trying to not be so hung up on that. Does that come into play when you're doing stuff for like the My Beaver County? Like the shots that you take, do you sometimes withhold a particular one because you think it might not be well received? No, but what I what I am really mindful of is giving that person the opportunity to be to be seen in a way that they feel is appropriate. um, And that, you know, that dignifies them and that respects their experience. You know, I would never want to put something out, you know, just for the sake of getting something in quickly or, uh, or I think the bigger danger is imposing too much of my perspective on what that person said. Mm-hmm. So when I'm talking to people, I always bring along just a little handheld recorder um, and I'll take some notes and just make sure that when I do type up their quote about what we talked about, that it's in their own words and that I'm not mm-hmm. accidentally changing the meaning right. when I'm putting it through my own filter and, and typing it out. That's a great way to approach things like that, because a lot of times from content creation and the people who are doing it, your own perspective kind of gets almost subliminally pushed into the, the uh, piece that you're creating. Mm-hmm. Like if you're doing a photography 
project or you're doing a video project or really any project, the whole thing is coming from you. So you have your own little creative spin that you're putting on it, whether you realize you're doing mm-hmm. it or not. Right. And what you just said about how like not eschewing their original meaning, that's mm-hmm. it's really great. Yeah. And I tried a couple times to I'll, I'll test it out. So I'll have the recording and I'll sometimes I'll come right home and I'll try to type out what I what I thought they said. And then I'll listen to the recording and see how it's different and see how, you know, my language and how I talk about things, you know, comes through instead of theirs, you know, and then of course, wipe that out and just go with what (laughs) they said. But, you know, we were talking about memorable photographs and powerful events. And um, one of the one of the events that I went to this summer was a spaghetti dinner fundraiser for the steelworkers. There's 200 steelworkers that have been locked out um, at the ATI plant in Midland. They're still locked out. They've been locked out since, I think, August 15th. So this fundraiser was held shortly after that. And it was just an incredible event. I think uh, they raised almost $10,000 that day in uh, just people coming in to buy spaghetti dinners and giving donations. Um, A lot of the steel workers were there with their families. People from the community were there. People from uh, St. Blaise Parish were there. The church donated the space and really helped make it a a wonderful event. Um, And it was a great show of solidarity. And I I really wanted to capture that. Uh, That was really important to me because I think unions and those kind of jobs were so, you know, those blue collar jobs are so integral to just the the fabric of Beaver County. And those kind of jobs are being lost. You know, so many more people now work in the service sector and in jobs that don't have, you know, good benefits or a pension or, you know, any kind of security. So I thought it was really important to, you know, keep that to, to bring that issue to your Beaver County readers, even though it was potentially contentious one, you know, it's a lockout, it's a labor dispute, Mm -hmm. you know, people are going to come down on different sides of that. But, um, you know, Andy, who runs the site is, is really great in saying, look, the, the people section is, um, it's, it's the people of Beaver County's, uh, place to talk about what they're dealing with and their stories. And you can agree with those stories or disagree with them, but it's their story, it's their perspective. And this is a place where we can tell them. So so that was really important for me to, to tell those stories. And I actually just went back out to the picket line and talked to some folks again. And it doesn't look like there's any sort of end in sight, you know, with the lockout, which is really sad. I know the workers got some unemployment, but when you think about um, those are the kind of jobs where, you know, for the most part, you, you could have a single earner in in the family, you know, and take care of the family. And those kind of jobs uh, almost are non-existent now. You right. know, most of the people that I talk to, there's if there's two people in the household, they're both working. You know, maybe it's part time, but it's very rare to find a household now where one person has a full time job and can support, you know, the family. So, you know, it's it's really sad. And I want to connect people with those stories uh, to kind of remind people what you know, we should be fighting for, you know, those are the kind of things that we need to fight for and stand up for if we want to have a good, you know, quality of life in the county and in the country. So uh, whatever little part those pictures played in that, I, I, you know, I'm glad. It's it's so interesting because we talk about and think about, you know, what what really makes me mad is that I didn't talk about more about the historical context. I mean, you know, with my grandfather, you know, here's someone that was really a teenager during the Great Depression. And I hear stories from my mom about how, you know, every time they could find rent a dollar a month cheaper, they would move. So he went to all kinds of different schools, you know, growing up. He was a twin. And I didn't know my great uncle very much. I mean, he was he was an alcoholic. He was, you know, always drinking and he was kind of alienated from the family. And I think that came out of his time. He was a medic in the war. Uh, my grandfather, he was blind in one eye. 
So he wasn't actually in combat. But he was just an amazing, amazing person and so sweet and gentle and kind. And I'm thinking about the amazing work that you guys do to capture the oral history and what I wouldn't give to have an audio recording of his sweet laugh, you know, his sweet chuckle. Um, It just it always stayed the same, you know. So that's I just I'm really thankful that you guys are doing this work. It's an unbelievable treasure for people just not only to hear about, you know, for the family to hear about their loved one's service and and heroism and sacrifice, you know, even if they didn't necessarily do anything, you know, in some big historic battle, but just the fact that they were willing to sacrifice and give up years of their life, you know, in service of the country, to hear about what motivated them to do that, to hear about their stories. I mean, that's one of the best lasting treasures that you could have. And it's just incredible. So I'm so glad you guys are doing that. Well, you raised uh, something that's very important in, in this work, and that is the quality. Mm-hmm. Right. So whether you're talking about photography or audio recording or videography, you know, the quality matters because as close as you can get to how someone really sounds or mm-hmm. how they really look, I mean, that is true to life. I mean, mm-hmm. There's always some room for artistic expression, right, Brian, in, mm-hmm. in what we do. But the more fidelic we can be with these voices and these images, uh, you know, the more we will preserve that actual essence of somebody. I always tell people the story about when my mom died. In the year prior to her death, uh, I recorded her. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I put her on my good microphones and really, you know, went all out to mm-hmm. make a really nice recording for the family. And when I listen to those recordings now and I close my eyes, it is just like my mother sitting next to me. Aww. You know, it's very different than if I had a recorder sitting on the table, mm-hmm. you know, five feet away, and there was mm-hmm. all kinds of extraneous noises. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so that that fidelity really matters. And I often tell people that all this gear, all this stuff, is towards that end. Mm-hmm. You know, to make it as fidelic as possible, because this, the information is just not enough right? Just like when you write up a story, the facts just aren't enough, right? It's that coloring of the story, the nuances um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, of, of that tale that when they can be flushed out, I mean, that makes all the difference in mm-hmm. the world to me. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, that's, that's, that's awesome. I always love it, I love it when uh, people, you, we, we end up on the same wavelength, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like, Oh, yeah, you feel that way, too. That's really neat, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. Let's talk about the Aaron Neinhauser photographic eye again. Okay. okay. <laughs> what is it that makes an Aaron Neinhauser photograph? I mean, I asked you earlier about what it is that you look for. But yeah. if, if you were to look at your own work or someone were to look at your work, could they say, ah, oh, that is Aaron's style? Do you have a style? Do I have a style? Um... I think I have a style. I think I have a style. Uh, it's express, okay. expressing a ton of confidence there. <laughs> yes, um. I, think, I think I'm about something. No. Uh, yeah, I, I like to try, try to capture a mood, you know, with my photos. You know, I'm looking at one right now that I took. Um, this is the, the cover photo right now on my Rust Belt Mayberry Photography Facebook page of um, the railroad bridge that's in Manaka, right by the Riverfront Park. And oh, that's classic. I took that yeah. picture um, last winter. I was out there with Dave, and it was freezing cold. There was hardly anyone out. Uh, there was some ice on the, on the river, and it was just beautiful. And when I look at this picture, I just feel uh, an overwhelming sense of uh, solitude 
you know, not not a sadness, but just sort of a quiet solitude. And, you know, things are so busy now, right, in, in the world. And, you know, everything is scrolling through Facebook, scrolling through Twitter, everything's coming at you and, you know, coming at you. And it's hard to, to carve out that time to just sit and be still and notice something, whether it's, you know, a flower that grows out of the sidewalk, you know, out of all of the cement, or it's the reflection of uh, the bridge on the on the icy waters, or just the perspective, you know, looking looking up at a flag and, and catching it from a different perspective, you know, that evokes that sense of or that need to sort of reflect on, you know, who you are, what this moment means, you know, the history behind something, just if that makes any sense, just sort of capturing that sense of, you know, stop and be in the moment, you know, notice something that you never noticed before and think about it, you know, and think about yourself and what's meaningful to you in this world, what's really meaningful, not the stuff that you run around doing every every day, making yourself crazy with, but what's really meaningful and how can you appreciate that, you know, before it's, before it's lost. So um, I think, you know, you guys are capturing that you know, when I think, you know, everybody always says, if I could go back, you know, if I could go back and record some of those stories or just, you know, just record my grandfather talking about anything and having that, that would be so precious to me. And hopefully someone will see, you know, some of these photographs of a place that was memorable to them in or around Beaver County or in or around Western PA. And that all have that, you know, a similar sort of uh, emotional power uh, that that's really what I'm going for. But in terms of your I'm going to get into the weeds a little mm-hmm. bit about photography and imagery. In terms of how you construct a look, mm-hmm. I'm assuming you thought about this. For, you know, for years as a mm-hmm. photographer, I never thought about this myself. Now I do all the time. But are there certain elements that you like to inject into your images? For mm-hmm. example, color, right? Mm-hmm. Is there some people who bump up the color? They like... Very saturated. S- yes, mm-hmm. the, the, that's the technical word, right? Saturation, mm-hmm. very saturated. Some people are just the opposite. They go to the extreme and black and white mm-hmm. is their thing. Some people are nuts about picture clarity, right? Mm-hmm. Focus. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a big thing for me, focus. Mm-hmm. I jettison so many photographs because I just blow the focus on where I want the focus to be. In particular, like you shoot people, you know, I always focus on the eyes. Mm-hmm. If I don't get the eyes, I... And reluctant to keep that photograph. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so it's picture quality focus for me. It's like where the subject is in the frame. Yeah, framing. You know how mm-hmm. you compose that shot. You know that's very important. All my portraits, uh, well, most of them are. You know, they're three quarter placements, right? So someone's in a, a, a rule of thirds. Someone's in mm-hmm. a third of the frame, right? Mm-hmm. Not dead center. You know, some, you know, mix it up in there and there. But you know that. So that. So if anyone sees a portrait of mine, my style is that the eyes are in focus and they're mm-hmm. you know in a third of the frame. You know, that's me. But your thoughts on that? Your, your own work? I also like to focus on the eyes. I like to, it depends what it is. You know, sometimes like right now I'm looking at a picture of a spider web that has dewdrops all over it. And the spider web is uh, very clear and in focus. And the background scenery, the tree, the garage uh, that's behind it is is blurry and out of focus. And the, so the bokeh. Yes, exactly. With landscapes, I like to, um, you know, sometimes have, you know, one part of it in focus and then, you know, the 
the background a little blurry, uh, but it just really depends on what I'm looking at. I have gotten really into long exposure lately. Um, I love to take pictures at night, and it's probably just because I'm an extreme night owl. I'm trying to bend the curve on that so that I'm not going to bed feeling. as the sun comes up, you know. But um, <laughs> I love to take pictures at night, you know, and, and got some great shots of the um, Perseoid meteors this summer, Ooh, just oh, from the backyard, set awesome. up the camera. Oh, wow. And um, you can see there's a huge streak that that comes across in the picture. And then you can see just the movement of the stars in that amount of time, whether it was 10 minutes or something. So I love to do um, long exposure. I love to capture, you know, a train in motion or, or uh, light trails at night, obviously, you know, sunsets, you know, just, just the kind of scenes that I think are, that really express or, or that come to mind when I think about Beaver County and Lawrence County and the, mm-hmm. you know, the places where I grew up, you know, just a, a wooded area with railroad tracks or, you know, a bridge or, you know, th- things like that. Like scenic shots, but there's like symbolism involved. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, those shots that tell a story, whether it's a landscape or an astral uh, shot or um, what have you, uh, you know, if they evoke something reminiscent of a story, I think those are very interesting kinds of photographs. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. so in, you know, in a sense, you have to, I mean, there's a certain responsibility on the part of the viewer, right, to sort of find that meaning, to, to struggle with mm-hmm. that meaning. What the hell is this about, right? Mm-hmm. What is this photograph about? What's the, you know, because every photographer, either they intentionally made that shot when they, when they shot it, right? They mm-hmm. made the composition, they lined it up, the camera settings and so forth, or when they were editing, you know, uh, they chose to make it such, mm-hmm. right? So every photographer puts something out there that is volitional. It's on purpose. Does the viewer always get that, right? Does Do, do they uh, understand that, you know, that focus is not on the eyes? It's somewhere else for a reason? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe not, right? I mean, we can only, we can bamboozle people, right, <laughs> all the mm-hmm. time as, as photographers. But I always like to think about how will my viewer mm-hmm. interpret this? You know, so when it comes to people, for example, I always like to, um, and I say this all the time to people, I say, look, if you look good, I look good, right? As a photographer, recordist, whatever. Every time. Yeah. Uh, and it, that's true. I, I never put an unflattering photograph out there uh, if I can help it. Because I always think about how people receive, you know, that that image. And that's very important. And so with more abstract things, you know, I think, well, are they going to get this? Or, you, know, you know, is their eye going to go where my eye went? you know, for that. And uh, I don't know, that's all subjective. I don't know, there's no right, wrong answer in this. Mm-hmm. I just, when I talk to other photographers, I just like to sort of banter around those mm-hmm. ideas mm-hmm. because I think those are, are interesting, not only for us who make the pictures, but those who receive them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to stories, right, how do people receive your stories? What kind of feedback have you gotten from your stories? Certain stories get more uh, get more attention. And I think, people connect with more more so than others, or at least if you're gauging that by comments, you know, um, your Beaver County is on Facebook uh, under the same name. And they post, you know, a photo a day. And, you know, like recently, the with the veteran stories in that series that ran over the last uh, 10 days, I think people really connected with it. And, you know, a lot of the comments were, you know, thank you for your service. And I think specifically, uh, about Fred, who talked about coming home from Vietnam. And uh, was it Fred Martin, I think? Fred Martin, right. And, you know, he just very plainly said, you know, we were home, nobody cared, you know, and that's, 
that really stood out. I think I got goosebumps in the room when he said it um, because he was just being honest. You know, he wasn't, you know, a big political statement or any kind of, you know, invective. He was just this matter of fact, you know, we were home, nobody cared, went home, you know, and, you know, people said, well, you know, I cared and thank you for your service. And, you know, my friend or my relative served and I appreciate what you did in, in service to the country. So, so usually people come in and they comment with words of encouragement. You know, if someone's going through something tough, like like the mother whose son is struggling to, you know, maintain his sobriety, people would offer encouragement and prayers and say, I've gone through something similar and we're here with you in spirit and hold your head up high and, you know, you're doing the right thing, supporting him. A lot of positive comments from the uh, steelworker stories from the fundraiser for the lo- workers that are locked out at ATI. One of the, uh, I wonder if I can find it right here. The the quote was really good. And the picture uh, is one of my favorites. A gentleman who was there with his family and his granddaughter. And he talked about how, you know, he's been a very fortunate man. He's been married for longer than he's worked. He's worked his whole life, you know, at the mill, has this great family. Um, and he walks the picket line when he has to, you know, so he kind of laid out uh, what he was about, you know, as a, as a man, as a father, as a worker, um, and as a member of the community, and and people commented like, yeah, this is this is the Pittsburgh tradition. That was that was my father's tradition, and so th- that was really powerful to you know. Um, that's really what I'd like to get to with every photo, you know, something that people can not only relate to, but that also inspires them, that galvanizes them to say, look, you know, this connects with me in in a meaningful way. And I'm going to, I'm going to come out of my shell and say that, you know, and offer encouragement and, you know, support. I always like to ask the question about how things are received because Mm -hmm. as our veterans interviews are, I mean, they are not just one-sided interviews. They are it's a conversation. It's a two human beings talking. You know, when we do work in the schools around oral history and, uh, you know, we teach kids about how to do oral history, the purpose of it, the value of it. You know, we always stress that oral history is is primarily a human activity, right? It's, you're having a conversation with a real human being. I mean, that's that's pretty powerful, right? So not only is the production of this work, whether you're, you're, you're making a photograph or something, engaging with another person, unless you're, you know, you're across the room with a telephoto lens and that's not so engaging, but by and large, it is, it is a kind of an engagement. So too is after we publish this work, it goes out there on yourbeavercounty.com or Russ Belt, Mayberry, uh, Facebook or Tumblr, you know, people are, are taking that in and the ability to have that sort of uh, dialogic around that, mm-hmm. I think is still pretty important. And we often just, you know, don't think of that too much, mm-hmm. you know, so I, you know, I'm interested in those comments that you get back and what they mean to you and mm-hmm. uh, what we get from those, those kinds of comments, right, mm-hmm. Brian, we, you know, I mean, we get feedback too in our, in our work and mm-hmm. uh, rarely do we ever really have a chance to sort of engage people who, unless they send us an email or call us up and we, we talk about it, but they really, we, we don't get enough of that. That engagement around, hey, so so, what does this mean to you, right? How, mm-hmm. how did you like that? Not like it? Why? You know that sort of thing. That's very, that's very important, and I think that mm-hmm. just makes all this stuff very real and dynamic, and at the end of the day, very very meaningful. That's really the point of this podcast, and that is to talk about and talk with those people who are telling the stories. Uh, it's a kind of a crazy little experiment for us this this mm-hmm. podcast, and uh, you know along this line. But you know, this is our twenty third podcast talking with storytellers. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for all the amazing work that you guys are doing. 
Our guest today has been photographer and community storyteller Aaron Neinhauser. You can find Aaron's work online at the website yourbeavercounty.com. That's it for episode 23 of Veteran Voices, the podcast. I'm Kevin Farkas. See you next time. You're listening to Veteran Voices of Pittsburgh. You're listening to Veteran Voices. You're listening to Veteran Voices. <laughs>